0: Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 9th of September 2010. Didn't know what happened there, but they were trying to get in touch with me and my end wasn't ringing. So I called them instead. And that took about a few minutes to get through. Odd that. But uh, even some of the emails I'm sending out aren't going anywhere, apparently. Uh, they're certainly getting sent somewhere, but it's hours before they, they actually arrive. So I guess we're being um, interfered with again. But strange, if incoming calls aren't getting to me either. But this is the brave new world we live in, and we're all so free—that some, some more freer than others, mind you—and uh, other ones get a lot of problems. Now, I always start off the show by suggesting you go into cuttingsfortheamateurs.com website you'll find hundreds of hours of talks I've given for download for free where I try to give you shortcuts to the big picture and, of course, encourage you to do your own reading as well. And I give you different books along the way. I'll mention them, uh, what you look into, uh, what your official books, is not conspiracy books, uh, put out by those who are involved in setting up your reality, your whole way of life, in fact, and the cultures that you will go through and then your children will go through, right through the 21st century. It's all planned. So go into that site. And remember, too, that uh, I've got books and discs I have for sale. It's up to you if you want to keep me going. You can purchase them using um, a personal check from the U.S. to Canada. Uh, You can use PayPal for donations or to purchase just a separate uh, email with your name, address, and order after the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you. You can use an international postal money order from your post office if you're from the U.S. And outside the Americas, you can use um, Western Union, which is kind of steep, kind of hefty for a fee. Or MoneyGram, it's a bit cheaper. Or you can still use PayPal to order or donate. And I do appreciate donations, believe you me. doesn't matter how small it is either. And I should also say that that will help me sort of tickle over... Uh, through day to day because it 's expensive doing what i do, and believe you me it's, uh, i wouldn 't pick this as a job for anybody it 's not a job it 's beyond that it 's only a necessity for a time to get information out to the public uh, with a lifetimes of really study on these particular topics that converge into what we call a new world order and that 's what I try to do for you now it 's astonishing really how And people get caught up in the rush of media releases. The media will always churn out more stuff for you to grab on and to go ooh and ah and everyone bitches about it for a day and it's all over the internet and it's forgotten the next day as if something else is pushed out for you to bitch about and go ooh and ah. And all you're being taught really and trained into is that that the old system is gone and here is the new one. Now I've gone into the Club of Rome With their post-democratic statements, you're now in a post-democratic society, and they said too, it would have to be authoritarian. To rush this through worldwide, you'd have to be taught, and and coerced, and if necessary, the use of force would have to be used on you to make you comply with this whole new expert-driven society. And that's what it's all about, where the scientific elite, academia, would all be in charge of us, uh, right down to our minds and what's politically correct and what isn't. And they would also use the present tools, which everyone's been trained like little rats into, and that's the computer, which will run your lives for you very, very shortly. In fact, they already run a lot of folks' lives already. They just don't want to admit it. But it's a lot worse with the interfacing of the Internet of Things, where nanotechnology, which is so cheap a me to produce, will be all over the planet. And in your clothing and everything, and communicating wherever you go with sensors wherever you go. And you be monitored 24 hours a day and night even. So that's the brave new world we're getting brought up into. And, you know, a few years back when you talked about conspiracy at all, before they made it a sort of hobby, and that's what the big boys wanted, they encouraged conspiracy theories. Um, and they called it they came to the first ones to come call it to all those who are involved in conspiracy theories in a sort of mocking superior tone that they use. Um, that that was intended because they have now created a cult of conspiracy theories. Anything from aliens invading the planet to whatever. And it's all one big giant circus which is counterintelligence. Once you mix fact with fiction and push it out there, and believe you me, the fiction will grab you, it will grab your mind, that's what fiction is designed to do, and take you off in journeys throughout our space and back again. Uh, you will believe this stuff, and suddenly can an absolute loony to those who would never heard any of it before, but you'll also discredit the factual stuff, and that's how counterintelligence actually works. On this show, I try to stick to the basic facts, the rest of anything to do with speculation, I leave up to you. And, um, I understand, True, a lot of people like escapism because it's very hard, very difficult to believe that evil people really do exist. And, of course, in this time of moral relativity, uh, I guess we can't even call them evil anymore. It's just their particular bent on, on how they, they see things and as their take on things, how they should rule us. But now everyone's really accepted, step by step by step, as you're trained into the New World Order, that it's no real big deal. You're already, you've been told for years and years that you're already global, the global society, the global village, um, think global, act local, all that kind of stuff. Thousands of slogans. Lenin said they'd win by slogans, by the way. And of course Madison Avenue churns them out on behalf of the big rulers of the world. And that's not your governments. Your governments are simply the ones who rubber stamp the laws or pass them via the United Nations. And the United Nations is run by their Royal Institute of International Affairs, who set it up in the first place. They combine communism and capitalism to bring out this new society. And that came out in the Rees Commission, which you can see for yourself if you care to look it up. And they're coming out with it more openly now. This is an article from uh, foxnews.com. And it says, After a year of humiliating setbacks, United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon... And about 60 of his top lieutenants. Now remember, you're listening to military terminology for this group that keeps saying they're pushing democracy across the world. Even though they say we're post-democratic, because they're born liars, they don't just use double speak, use triple speak. But they themselves are not a democratic institution. They're a militarized organization. With guys in suits, mainly. So, Sixty of his top lieutenants, uh, the top brass of the entire UN system, spent their Labor Day weekend at a remote Austrian Alpine retreat, discussing ways to put their sprawling organization in charge of the world's agenda. Now, for the harder thinking, I'll repeat that last part. They spent their, their, their entire Labor Day weekend at a remote Austrian Alpine retreat, discussing ways to put their sprawling organization in charge of the world's agenda. Now, that means there is a world's agenda, you see, obviously. There is an agenda. They haven't told you what the agenda is, at least not in regular media. You have to go into their books to find out what it is. And it's available, you know, if you care to look for it. But it's very boring stuff, going through hundreds of pages of boring, boring uh, bureaucratese language. It says details concerning the two day closed door session. There, there's democracy for your closed door session. In the comfortable village of Alpbach, were closely guarded. Yeah, they really suffer at these meetings. This Alpine retreat. Isn't it? They really suffer as if they're ten course lunches and stuff. Anyway, it says, nonetheless, position papers for the meeting obtained by Fox News indicate that the topics included. Listen to this. How to restore climate change as a top global priority after the fiasco of last year's Copenhagen Summit. After all the leaked fake emails, the emails came out but all their fake studies and stuff. Remember, the job at the UN is to make a global society and rule it. So they'll use any con. Their members I've read before in the statements I've read before from their members say they must always create scary scenarios to make the public go along. Anyway, this is how to continue to make global redistribution of wealth. That's a communist uh, plank there, right there. How to continue to try to make the global redistribution of wealth the real basis of that climate agenda. So they're going to tie that in with climate agenda, claiming that they're going to take money off you in the Americas and uh, Australia and New Zealand and across Europe, uh, to, to help fight global warming and poor countries. This is their con game. You know darn well it's got nothing to do with it. The money will not go there. This is an discussion further to encompass the idea of global public goods. Global public goods, eh? The idea. How to keep growing UN peacekeeping and efforts into missions involving the police, courts, legal systems and other aspects of strife-torn countries. Total integration that is of all law for enforcement and courts and the armies eventually they want that to come under them their their own jurisdiction completely how to capitalize on the global tide of migrants from poor nations to rich ones, that's a big one I read about that 40 odd years ago I shouldn't say 40 years ago in their books from the 40s they were writing that and uh, I've got a lot of their old books where it talks about eventually uh, they'd be in charge of not the distribution of wealth only but distributing um, labor as well from the poor countries to the rich ones so to encompass a new international migration governance framework you understand all we're living through is a big script that started with the League of Nations at the end of World War I and then through the United Nations World War II up to the present they talked about uh, the League of Nations everything I'm talking about here How to make clever use of new technologies to deepen direct ties with what the UN calls civil society. They want to be totally integrated with the computer systems to all your computer systems. Meaning novel ways to bypass its member nation states, remember, and deal directly with constituencies that support UN agendas. Bypass nation states and deal with your area only. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the Matrix. Just to recap what the UN's come out and said at their little private meeting up in the Alpines, having a wonderful time, and uh, they've said number one is to restore climate change as a top priority, a global priority, After, after the fiasco, it says, of last year's Copenhagen Summit, how to continue to try to make global redistribution of wealth. That's the transfer of your money via taxes and all the rest of it to supposed poor countries. This is the real basis of that climate agenda. So it's been tied in with the climate agenda nonsense. How to keep growing UN peacekeeping efforts into missions involving the police courts, legal systems and other aspects of strife-torn countries. How to capitalize on the global tide of migrants from poor nations to rich ones, to encompass a new international migration governance framework. So there'll be a big... Think about that, you see. Uh, eventually, if you want to move to another country, you, uh, you're going to have to go through the United Nations to see if they'll allow you to do so. That is the strategy. You see, the UN is set up, really, on the Sovietized model. In fact, Alger Hiss and Escott Reed and even Lester Pearson of Canada helped draft up the charter of its... And they wanted world government. They were quite blatant in their own books about it. So um, that's what's coming. And part of that, too, was a free transfer of goods and labor across the world. That was also signed into the GATT Treaty, the GATT Treaty, by all your wonderful elected representatives as you sold out your countries. Now it says here, how to make clever use of new technologies to deepen direct ties with what the UN calls civil society. That means they're taking over as your, your governments devolve or decentralize, as they call it, as in Britain, for instance, where they are going back to communitarianism. Because the UN then will take over in charge of your community via its non-governmental organizations, which are already set up. And... It says, as one underlying theme of the sessions, the top UN bosses seem to be grappling often with how to cope with the pesky issue of national sovereignty. That's the UN's pesky issue, which, according to the position papers, anyway, uh, continue to thwart many of their most ambitious schemes, especially when it comes to many different kinds of global governance. So they want the end of national sovereignty. They've never made a, a secret of that, though. Not coincidentally, the conclave of bureaucrats also saw in global governance a greater role for themselves. Well, of course they see that. And by goodness, they get some paychecks there at the UN, these, these bureaucrats. As a position paper intended for their first group session puts it, in the customary gluttonous prose of the organization's internal documents, the UN should be able to take the lead in setting the global agenda... So there isn't a a global agenda, don't forget that, they're admitting it here. You think they're just stumbling along day by day, that's how the media makes you think. No, there an agenda, you're actually going somewhere, where you know it or not, and it's always done incrementally, but it gets there in the end. This is engage effectively with other multinational and regional organisations, as well as civil society, so they're talking about public-private, the multinational organizations and the regional organizations. That's all the NGOs that are run by the foundations, as well as civil society and non-state stakeholders, and transform itself into a tool to, develop, to help implement the globally agreed objectives. See, your, your leaders have been signing you out for years by signing treaties, eroding your sovereignty with each treaty as they go along. That's never printed made much of in the media. And for that to happen, the paper continues, it will be necessary to deeply reflect on the substance of sovereignty and accept that changes in our perceptions are a good indication of the direction we are going. Now, remember, when you really think about it, they're doing polls all the time. And I've seen some of these polls. They they go through the different age groups to see who's willing to give up this, give up that, and so on. And believe you me, the youngsters, pretty well the world over, because they've all had their UNESCO training, um, uh, really won't make much of a deal for global governance. They won't make much of a deal at all. And, of course, all the students getting churned out of their main sources of indoctrination, that's the universities, uh, really are, are all for this fairness dot All be fair across the world and equal across the world, living in this typical utopia that never materializes as we all become poorer and poorer and poorer hammering away at perceptions that nation-states cannot adequately meet global challenges. But the United Nations Can is a major theme of the position papers, which were assembled by a variety of UN think tanks, task forces and institutions, including the United Nations Development Programme and the UN's Department of Economic and Social Affairs. That's all your tax money that pays your big fat salaries, folks. It says national sovereignty, meaning the refusal of major powers like India, China and the United States to go along with sweeping global agendas was specifically indicated for the failure of the much-ballyhooed Copenhagen summit on climate change. So see, nationalism was a problem, that's why it failed. It wasn't the fact that their science was all uh, bogus and was shown to be so. National sovereignty remains supreme, as one position paper noted. You see, there can only be one supreme power, and that's why they have supreme commanders and supremeness of the United Nations. That sounds like a Masonic Lodge. Nonetheless, the United Nations leaders intended to keep trying to change that, especially when it comes to the climate agenda. The next 40 years will prove pivotal, one paper argues, while laying out the basis of a renewed UN climate campaign, the 50-50-50 challenge. Back with more on this after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the Matrix. 2050, they've gone about to the United Nations too, It says the world's population will reach an estimated 9 billion. Now, that's all up in conjecture because they've admitted themselves that the population of the, most of the so-called civilized world is plummeting, absolutely plummeting, and some of them below um, uh, dangerous levels. So uh, they love big figures and scary scenarios to get what they want. It says, at the same time, the UN-sponsored intergovernmental panel on climate change, producer of the scandal-tainted 2007 global assessment of global warming, is calling for a 50% reduction in world greenhouse gas emissions. According to the paper prepared by Secretary General Ban's own climate change team, however, the newly rebranded challenge still depends on the same economic remedy proposed for Copenhagen, a drastic redistribution of global wealth. That's going to stop global warming. Just throw, t- making us all poor, you see, and all the other countries, um, is going to stop global warming. I guess because you can't heat yourself, you'll just die off. You know, you can't afford the carbon taxes. This is nothing less than a fundamental transformation of the global economy. I know what we should transform. It's the shape of the United Nations building. Rolling just about every UN mantra into one, the paper declares that nothing is more crucial to preventing runaway climate change than lifting billions out of poverty, protecting the planets and fostering long-term peace and prosperity for all. Which liars they are. What utter liars these prunes are. Hmm? You ever seen that, that the cost, when they come out with these you know, 10,000 grand suits on, these guys who talk and talk and talk and talk about poverty, See, they won't be in charge of the whole planet like any other tyrant, you know, in history. It says, and to do that, the paper suggests, equally dramatic shifts in political power may be needed. Is the global governance structure still dominated by national sovereignty, capable of responding with the coherence and speed needed to us, or do we need to push the reset button and rethink global governance to meet the 50-50-50 challenge? They love these challenges. Ten-year plans, 20-year, 50-100-year plans, just like the Soviets used. They use them all, so they want to take away sovereignty from the nations, so they can deal with it properly, you know, with a big heavy hand. And you can imagine trying to get something done in your area with a. It's the same as Europe. People living in Britain uh, have this place in another country across water in charge of them. You can't even see these characters face to face or complain. It's, it's pointless. You see, you're post-democratic. You have no rights. All we're being trained now is that we don't really need them. We're civilized now. We don't need rights. Yet even as the UN bosses talk of delivering billions from poverty, they've talked about that for their whole lives. Their main aim, the papers argue, should be much, much larger to limit and redirect the aspirations for a better life of rising middle classes around the world. And I'll just add this as a down the rest of the middle classes from the first world countries, because that's really what they're up to. As the opening session paper puts it, the real challenge comes from the exponential growth of the global consumerist society driven by even higher aspirations of the upper and middle layers in rich countries, as well as expanding demand of emerging middle class and developing countries. Our true ambition should be, therefore, to creating incentives for the profound transformation of attitudes and consumption styles. I've told you before, there would be no more consumption, you see, uh, as it take away your disposable income. And replace it with fees and carbon taxes and penalties and all that. That's what's going to happen. They don't like the consumer society. And I've said it over and over. The answer to that real challenge, as well as many others are addressed in the position papers, is that the UN and its proliferating array of funds, programs, institutes and initiatives should push themselves forward as a great synthesizer of solutions to global problems, connecting the dots as a climate change paper puts it across a range of issues, including climate, water, food, energy and health. Now they've got, they've already got all their guys set up. Every country now has got uh, climate managers and all the rest of it on, in their government. We don't elect them. Everything, see, everything's already changing. This isn't idle talk here. They put it into, into practice, then they tell you about it. This is how to get more of these resources is another major theme of many of the papers as one of the documents focusing on food security notes. Now they want charge of the food of the world, by the way. I've read the articles before from their own charter from the Department of Agriculture for the United Nations. They've also said in one speech that food has always been used as a weapon. And believe you me, they will use it as a weapon because they have said that when they're in charge of the world's food supply, they will ration out to the world's regions, as they call the amalgamation of the old nations. And that will be made to keep your population down. You will not get extra food if you go over a certain number. And you know darn well, once it starts running, I'll be okay for a year or two and we'll all play like little children. And then they'll cut it back saying it was a bad harvest this year. You're getting less. You have to kill off more and abort more and sterilize more. And I'm not kidding about this. You mark my words. I am not kidding about it at all. You see, it's so hard for the general public to believe that these creeps and characters and psychopaths with their elitist agendas really do exist. They're all eugenicists. They're recruited for their arrogance and their their, their belief in eugenics and superior types and inferior types. That's why they're recruited. So, I'll put this link up. Cutting through the at the end of the show and let you see it for yourself. It's quite fascinating to to have them come out now, now that they know that most folk really, especially the youth, 20 and under, maybe even 13 and under, won't care very much if they're under a global governance system or not, especially the ones who've been through academia and definitely the ones who've been through the Ivy League colleges and universities Uh, they will be all for it because they'll get good jobs in the new society. That's why Huxley talked about his idea of uh, what was coming, and he was right because he was part of the planning of the, the agenda right up into the present and beyond. So he talked to the Ivy League University characters at Berkeley and elsewhere and was more honest and forthcoming about what he saw and what should be done to the world, and how we manage people and their minds especially, the minds of the general public, using pharma and any means they could. He got awfully animated talking about wiring people's brains and controlling them. He thought that was just swell. That's what you live with. This kind of nonsense its really going on, and your country every year will sign more and more treaties with the United Nations, that you may or may not hear much about. Generally, you just get a one-liner in the newspaper because the media isn't there to explain what is actually happening. Legally, they'll inform you by giving you a headline, and a one-liner, but they won't tell you what it's all about. You have to do it all yourself. Find out. Now, we also have, really, the emergence of what was in Jane's magazine, the military magazine, many years ago, when they talked about creating the soldier of the future, they even made science fiction movies about it they are not fiction anymore, uh, where they would have a sort of cyborg-type character. But before that, they'd use pharma, drugs, various kind of drugs. They've talked about drugs that would take away uh, the pain of bad memories, you know, like slaughtering whole villages of people for no good reason. Um, stuff like that that might come back to haunt you in more sober moments. But they'd also use um, pharmacology on the troops in the field. Now, the average troop... And Trooper in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, especially Americans, are on about seven different prescribed drugs at once uppers, downers, all kinds of things, and they also smoke an awful lot of hash and stuff and uh, and, they, and they also buy an awful lot of illegal drugs to supplement their addictions to the ones that are prescribed so they 're basket cases really uh, they 're also the generation who 've been brought up with video games. You just kill, kill, kill. The ones you respect are the ones who just kill and get to the end of a game. That's what it's all about, isn't it? So they played these military games that were designed for the military initially uh, their whole lives, growing up in their little Xboxes. And here they are with a real gun. And they know darn well anybody they kill over in those countries, there's going to be no inquiry. No inquiry at all. Well, here's an article here, and it's from The Guardian. U.S. soldiers killed Afghan civilians for sport and collected fingers of the dead as trophies. So this is a little throwaway to the general public, of course, obviously, to show you how humane they really are. When you join the military, you'll be sacrificed for any cause. Strike your soldiers who allegedly plotted to kill Afghan civilians. Twelve American soldiers faced charges over a secret kill team that allegedly blew up and shot Afghan civilians at random and collected their fingers as trophies. They'll get good jobs when they come home, In the police departments, the guys that wear all the black and storm the houses that you're getting trained to, it's all quite normal. And I'm not kidding you about that either. Five of the soldiers are charged with murdering three Afghan men who were allegedly killed for sport and separate attacks this year. Seven others were accru- accused of covering up the killings and assaulting a recruit who exposed the murders when he reported other abuses, including members of the unit smoking hashish stolen from civilians so they're even robbing civilians to get drugs of them. It says, and one of the most serious accusations of war crimes to emerge from the Afghan conflict, and it's not the most serious, they've already blown up whole villages from the air uh, by mistake, and said, oops. The killings are alleged to have been carried out by members of a striker infantry brigade based in Kandahar province in southern Afghanistan According to investigators And legal documents Discussion of killing Afghan civilians Began after the arrival of Staff Sergeant Calvin Gibbs at forward operating Base at Ramrod last November Other soldiers told the Army's Criminal Investigation Command that Gibbs boasted Of the things he got away with while Serving in Iraq and said how Easy it would be to toss a grenade at someone And kill him One soldier said he believed Gibbs was feeling out the platoon To see who would be with him you see Investigator said Gibbs, uh, 25, hatched a plan with another soldier, Jeremy Morlock, 22. Interesting name, Morlock. That was H.E. Wells' guys who lived under the ground. Eh? And other members of the unit to form a kill team, while one on patrol of the following months. According to the charge sheet, the first target was Gull who was killed by means of throwing a fragmentary grenade at him and shooting him with a rifle. But it goes on and on and on about the other ones they killed by the same techniques just for fun, just to pass the time, you know, when you're bored. And um, it says, uh, later in the day, Molochus alleged to have told Holmes that the killing was for fun and threatened him if he told. Then they go through the different victims who the different shot and blew up and all the rest of it. It says the Army Times reported that at least one of the soldiers collected the fingers of the victims as souvenirs and that some of them posed for photographs with the bodies. Well, they get them all to pose with the bodies to show that they're really big, big men, you know. Anyway, the killings came to light in May after the Army began investigating a brutal assault on a soldier who told superiors that members of his unit were smoking hashish. The Army Times reported that members of the unit regularly smoke the drug on duty and sometimes stole it from civilians. The soldier was straight out of basic training and had not been named, said he witnessed the smoking of hashish, the drinking of smuggled alcohol, but initially did not report it out of loyalty for his comrades. But when he returned from an assignment at an army headquarters and discovered soldiers using the shipper or the shipping container in which he was billeted to smoke hashish, he reported it. Two days later, members of his platoon, uh, accused him of snitching and gave him a beating up, told him he could be smashed yeah. up. He then reported the beating and threats to his officers and then told investigators that he knew of the kill team. So it's quite interesting, too. So now the kill team have got a lawyer, Michael Waddington, is seeking to have that confession suppressed because Gibbs admitted to it. Uh, he says uh, because his client was interviewed well under the influence of prescription drugs <laughs> taken for battlefield injuries and that he was also suffering from traumatic brain injury. Uh, what a winner, eh? Our position is that th- his statements were incoherent and taken while he was under a cocktail of drugs. That shouldn't have been mixed, Waddington told the Seattle Times. But I guess it's okay to put them out there with grenades and rifles when they're under this cocktail of drugs, eh? And it'll blast away. There's another video, I believe, up on YouTube. I haven't seen it. You'll see troops at a checkpoint Actually put live grenades in a guy, in people's cars, in their trunks, their cars as they're going through the checkpoints. Then the next checkpoint that the radio would head to, open it up and question the people and threaten, you're going to kill them basically. Just for the hell of it, just to get them scared and nervous and, you know, crapping themselves. That's how they pass the time there these days. And they wonder, they wonder why these countries turn against Americans you wonder do you really wonder and yet that's what they want in the, the high hootspahs up in the military they want these drugged out characters and then they get them back into civil uh, civilian society and they're big heroes with the cops because they've killed people and they get put on the top SWAT teams, they'll be turned on you eventually now every year we get a new flu, of course, it's big bucks and, and we saw the fiasco and utter farce of the one last year of the swine flu that wasn't and how they all went to work so fast to save the planet and, and uh, killed a lot of people, mind you, giving them, but didn't seem to prevent any flus of any kind and there was no pig flu there in the first place. They told anyone with a sniffle or any doctor just, just report it and put it down as swine flu, which they did and it's awfully good for statistics. So anybody with a bit of an allergy or whatever was a diagnosed as having the swine flu to get uh, big, big sales to pharmas. But it's also a condition the public that uh, entrain you to go and get any kind of shots they tell you every year that you go. So here you go with the latest gear. What they did, by the way, for this year's flu shot is combine the, the normal, the standard annual flu with the the swine flu shots, they've got the two-in-one, you see. And I thought, well, how will they get extra cash now that they've got the two-in-one and they want another pack Well, here, here it goes, folks. This is the start of the drumbeat from people who work in the field itself and de- depend on grants to keep them in the field. Uh, remember that right off the bat. And it says September 2010, uh, bird flu jumps to pigs. So the bird flu, that was pretty well non-existent as well, that was going to kill us all by, I think it was uh, the, the mid 90s, um, has jumped to pigs. You know, the only ones, the only humans who contracted uh, this, the avian flu, as he called it, um, the bird flu, were ones who ate, drunk the blood raw, in some of the third world countries. That's what they do; it's a, it's a delicacy, and they were the only ones, only a few of them too, caught it, the thing. So here it goes. The H5N1 bird flu virus may be evolving, may be evolving, right? The ability to spread from mammal to mammal, say, a team who have discovered that pigs in Indonesia have been infected with the disease since 2005. It's one step in the frightening chain of events that could lead to human transmission and a pandemic. The H5N1 bird flu kills 60% of the people it infects, and it only infects a tiny minority, tiny, tiny. The ones who like the blood. You cook the stuff and it kills everything off, you see. However, most infections occur after direct contact with an infected bird and the disease does not appear to spread well between humans. So here comes the scare. Back with more after this break. Folks, I'm back and we cutting through the matrix reading about the next pa- uh, flu scare, you know, another flu scare. They've one every winter and winter is coming along. So it says here, uh, this could change. One way the virus could develop the ability to spread among humans is to first infect pigs, which have many biochemical similarities to humans. Flu viruses adapted to pigs have less trouble adapting to humans than do bird flu viruses. One pig adapted virus caused the swine flu pandemic that never was in 2009. I added the last part, of course, as it should, should be in here anyway, but this particular new scientist site is all pro-new world order. And Cheryl Needham of uh, Erlanga University in Surabaya, Indonesia, and colleagues in Japan have been tracking the H5N1 in pigs since 2005 in Indonesia. So here they are with their grants, the field teams, living the life of Riley, uh, getting big bucks for, you know, playing around in tents and stuff, passing a a while, big money. Uh, So they're the guys who are watching the pigs just in case it happens. Maybe it'll happen in the hippo for all we know. Or an elephant, perhaps. Anyway, it says, uh, The country's hardest hit by the avian flu virus. They now report that between 2005 to 2007, when the avian flu peaked, 7.4% of 700 pigs they tested carried H5N1. There have been sporadic reports of H5N1 in pigs, but this is the first time the extent of the problem has been measured. In each case, the virus in pigs closely resembles H5N1 from nearby outbreaks in poultry, suggesting it has jumped from the bird to the pig population. And pigs might fly. That and the small proportion of pigs infected suggest that the virus cannot yet spread between pigs. If the virus was better adapted to pigs, it would have spread like welfare. Well, give it to the laboratory. They'll soon get it gone. You know, they're very good at getting weaponized viruses and so on. You know, when the right time comes, you will give us something real. Believe you me, they'll give us something real when it's time to cull us down. Big time. And then we'll all cry for global governance. The UN will be there and, and, and wave their blue flag and say, come here, all you little children, and we'll stab you with this stuff. And then we'll just drop dead, probably. Anyway, it says, Ab Osterhaus of the University of Rotterdam in the Netherlands, a flu expert not involved in research. So it's all bogus again. Great bucks for pharma, of course. And I know for a fact that people who did get the last series of flu shots last year, uh, even medical staff, in fact, did come, a lot, did come down with chronic fatigue syndromes and the, the, the so-called epstein bar virus and all the other things that come along with inoculation. Some are crippled, actually. can't get out of their beds. You know, fibromyalgia, all that kind of stuff. Because it's a very primitive system. It's like voodoo. It really is. It really is like voodoo. You think of high science and, and glistening instruments and all that. No, no, no. It's pretty well a matter of growing the stuff on kidneys and animals and fetal tissue and uh, and t- tumor tissue. Actually, I read the article last year they prefer tumor tissue, cancer tissue, to grow the viruses on because it will keep growing, you see. And then they mush it all up in a big blender, uh, put it in the center if you just take out the pink bits so it looks better, and then stick this, this muck inside you. That's how high scientific this is. It's a, oh, I'm not kidding you. We live in a la la land. A la la la. And that's called high science. The cutting edge, eh? Rubbish, that's not the cutting edge. That's for you though. That's for you. Your level. We don't get the big stuff that the big boys get. And even Rockefeller doesn't. He only lived to about 100 or so, just like Queen Elizabeth, uh, her mother. That's what they get, about 100 years of age. There are older ones around, too, who get the higher stuff. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, all your gods go with you.